The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you join me in Mark 7 as we finish out this chapter together, starting in verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hands on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This morning, as we work through these verses together, we're going to see six things. And here's the way that they're going to flow. The first three will be just the text, what we see in the text. And then the next three will be what we can learn from the text. And here they are, if you're a note taker. We'll see the afflicted man, the amazing miracles, the astonished messengers, And then in application, we will see the awaited Messiah, the affectionate miracle worker, and the answer for mankind. How about that for alliteration? Verse 31. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Jesus has concluded now what is a year of ministry in the uh, Galilean area. And he is sort of making a, a, a loop around the Sea of Galilee. Eventually heading into his last year of ministry in Jerusalem. We saw last week as he had traveled into this area of Tyre and Sidon where he had this interaction last week with this Syrophoenician woman. He's now continued in his traveling to the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee to an area known as the region of Decapolis, that is a, a, a region of 10 city-states. There's a lot you probably could know about the Decapolis, but probably the, the most important thing for you to know is that this is a very Gentile and pagan area. 
archaeological excavations have found um, that these towns in this area, these 10 city-states, were centers of Greek paganism and they were full of idols and idol worship. So this is, this is not a place, an area that is Jewish. This is a, a Gentile area. And though these in this area are pagan idol worshipers, they had no doubt heard of Jesus and his power because there is even here a crowd of people following him. And in this crowd, some friends bring to Jesus the afflicted man. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hands on him. We don't know much about this man except that which was obvious to everyone. This is a man who was unable to hear and because he's unable to hear, he is also unable to speak clearly. This tells us that this man's deafness began early in his life, may or may not have been a birth defect. Most scholars seem to think that it probably wasn't, but that it was something that occurred due to illness and that after years and years and years of deafness, his speech was severely impaired. Today, these are handicaps that can be overcome. I was talking to Brandy this morning. This is, this is her specialty. Because um, I, I, I wondered how long it would take for an older person who was deaf after they had received the ability to hear, be it through a cochlear implant or, or whatever therapies may take place, how long it would be before they could speak plainly. And she said they may never speak plainly. And she was telling me that, that this particular miracle is, is pretty hotly debated within the, the, the hearing impaired community because they don't see being deaf as something that needs to be cured. But what we have to realize is that our, we don't want to impose our culture onto this text. We have therapies and we have treatments and we have a whole system of language to help those who are hearing impaired today. But those things did not exist in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, to be deaf or Mute meant that you were ostracized from society. In Jesus' day, those who could not hear or those who could not speak were generally regarded as mentally handicapped. So we know today that for people to be unable to, to hear, it's, a, it's a, a, a hardware issue, not a software issue, right? It's, it's, a, it's a deficiency in in the actual 
ear, not in the brain. But in their day, they didn't know that. It was also common for them to believe that this kind of condition stemmed from the judgment of God. Uh, an issue like, who is it that sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be this way. And this is the life that this man has lived. One of being ostracized, being outside of culture, of, of being unable to provide for himself. But we do know that this man has friends. And he has friends who have heard of Jesus' power and Jesus' abilities. And so they bring this afflicted man to Jesus and they beg Jesus to lay his hands on him. They have heard the power that Jesus has in his hands. And so it's in this that we see an amazing miracle. Verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, literally, Jesus taking him to himself, pulling him away from the crowd that's following him, taking him privately. Mark tells us that he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And he looks up to heaven and he sighs. And he says to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. What a strange sequence that Jesus goes through here. Right? We, we've not seen this sort of thing with, with Jesus before. The, the putting of his fingers in this man's ears, the spitting. And there's, there's some disagreement here as to what is literally happening. Some think it, Jesus is spitting on this man's tongue, some spitting on his hands. We don't know what Jesus is doing. There, exactly, we're, we're going to see what I think is taking place here in just a second. But there, there, were, there were beliefs in Jesus' days that, that saliva held the healing properties. I, I don't think Jesus believes that. He knows all things. Um, although if anybody's saliva holds healing properties, it, it would be his. Um, but a strange sequence that Jesus goes through. And in this strange sequence, there is an amazing miracle that takes place. That this man's ears are opened and immediately his tongue is loosed and he can speak plainly. Amazing miracle. And because of this amazing miracle takes, that takes place... The result is astonished messengers. And so Jesus heals this man miraculously and then charges them to tell no one. This is something we see Jesus doing often. And why is it that, that Jesus makes this charge? Don't go and tell anybody. And the reason is because physical healings were not his primary ministry. And physical healings do distract 
from Jesus' primary ministry, which is the proclamation of his word, the calling of, of people to repentance and faith in himself. And it's so easy for these miracles to sort of take on a life of their own and for crowds to build because of them in such a way that it makes Jesus' primary ministry more difficult to do. Miracles held an important place in the ministry of Jesus. They were there for a number of reasons, one of which was to bring validation to his, his message. Well, his message up until this point, there have been thousands of miracles worked by Jesus. And now his, his message has been validated. There, there really isn't a need for any more of them, yet he is a compassionate Savior. And so Jesus charges them to not say anything. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They are disobedient. And they are astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. Man, what a great, what a great thing to say of Jesus. As I read that, I thought, you know what? He has done all things well, and he has done all things well since the beginning. This is the creator, the one through whom all things were created, the one that spoke all things into existence and said of all things what? They are good. They are well, exceedingly well. And here is the creator recreating before their eyes and the response is the same refrain that has echoed since creation. He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. An afflicted man, an amazing miracle. Astonished messengers. So what does all this mean to us? That's the question. Well, the first thing that I believe that this means to us is the evidence of the awaited Messiah. You see, this miracle is convincing validation of the true identity of Jesus. That Jesus is the promised Messiah as he before their eyes fulfills Old Testament prophecy that they don't even know. These are Gentiles. They don't know the Old Testament, not the way a Jew does. Before their very eyes, Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. When the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is convincing validation of the true identity of Jesus that he is the long-awaited Messiah. This man, Jesus, isn't just a teacher. He isn't just a worker of magic. 
He isn't just a prophet. He's not just a priest. He is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Every promise of God finds their yes in Jesus Christ. They don't even know what's happening before their very eyes. Before their very eyes, Jesus is making it clear that he is the singular one that was promised long ago. The one that from the very beginning was promised in Genesis 3.15 where God speaks to the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is the promised offspring of Eve. He's the fulfillment of that promise in creation. Jesus is the promised offspring of the covenant of Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham that from his offspring, he will bless all nations. And Paul tells us in Galatians 3, 16, now the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say into his offsprings, referring to many, but to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Christ Jesus is the promised one. He is the long awaited Messiah. He is the one. He is the creator who is making all things new. This miraculous healing that takes place just drives home to us again that he is the promised Messiah as he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Not only is he the long-awaited Messiah, he is also the affectionate miracle worker. So what is it with all that Jesus does in this miracle? What is it about all of this as he takes this man aside brings him to himself privately away from the crowd and then puts his fingers into his ears and then after spitting, touches his tongue. Why is Jesus doing this? I believe and the vast majority of commentators believe that it is because of this man's handicap that Jesus does these things. That this is an affectionate, compassionate way for Jesus to communicate to this man exactly what he's doing. That this is sign language. That I am going to heal your ears. And I'm going to loosen your tongue. Jesus visualizes this for him. What a kind and affectionate thing for Jesus to do. To make sure that this man understands and knows what's about to happen to him. 
so that he understands what it is that's taking place, so that he can see it before he hears it. I mean, imagine living your life deaf for so many years, and then all of a sudden, wham, you can hear everything. It's shocking. Anybody ever go down those rabbit holes on YouTubes of people who get the, the implants, and then they can hear for the first time? It's a shocking thing. And Jesus is an affectionate miracle worker who brings this man to himself privately and shows him, visualizes for him what he's about to do to him so that he knows what's happening and what's taking place. And then Jesus, after he touches his ears and he touches his tongue and he looks up to heaven and he sighs and says, be opened. What is this? Jesus looks to heaven so that this man understands who it is that's about to do this thing. Symbolically, this is where this power is coming from. It's coming from the one true God above. Remember, this is a Gentile pagan place. This is a place where there's lots of witchcraft and sorcery and magicians that there are people that seemingly do amazing things. And Jesus makes it clear to them who it is that is working this miracle. That it is the God in heaven that's doing it. And Mark tells us that he sighs. Literally, he groans. He groans. What is this groaning? It's a, it's a deep sadness and a deep sympathy. I can imagine the, the sadness in the heart of the Savior as he walks around and sees before him the brokenness and the sinfulness and the results of sin and sickness all around him, that there's deep sadness. And Mark tells us that Jesus groans. This is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This, this groaning that takes place inside of us over a world broken and marred by sin. It's the same groaning, the same word in Romans 8 that the Spirit does for us. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness or in our groaning. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The very Spirit of God in this moment is groaning on our behalf just as Jesus groans 
on the behalf of this afflicted man. Everything that takes place in this moment speaks to the affectionate miracle worker, to the sympathetic Savior that we have. But the reality is that Jesus isn't just sympathetic, he's also sovereign. Jesus isn't just compassionate, he's also capable. Jesus isn't just affectionate, he is authoritative. To have a savior who is just sympathetic is pathetic. We don't have a savior who's just sympathetic, we have a savior who is sovereign, who is all powerful. And his ears were opened. And his tongue released and he spoke plainly. Immediately able to speak plainly. Full restoration. No therapy needed. What a miracle. What an affectionate miracle worker. To see this as Jesus brings him to himself. That this is still what Jesus is doing today. By his spirit. He is calling men and women and children to himself. He is calling them to himself as the affectionate miracle worker, as the sympathetic, sovereign, compassionate, capable, affectionate, authoritative savior. He is calling him to himself because Jesus is the answer for mankind. While Every single one of these stories found in the Gospels are reality. They really, literally took place. While they are reality, they are also symbolic. While they really happened, they're also metaphor. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of miracles Jesus works. But yet the Spirit of God saw fit to inspire Mark to record this one in particular. Why? Because it's symbolic of all of us. That all of mankind is deaf to the voice of God. Just a few places. I could literally stand here and read verse after verse describing the state of mankind as being unable to hear the voice and the word of God. But just a few to drive the point home. Jeremiah 6.10 To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the God of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Micah 7.16 The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths and their ears shall be deaf. Jesus in Matthew 13, explaining why he speaks to 
them in parables. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, least they should see with their ears and hear or see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I will heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear the state of all of mankind is a state of deafness to the word of God we may hear but we don't understand This is all people. But for the grace of an affectionate, miracle-working God. Not only is all of mankind deaf to the voice, the words of God, but all of mankind's mouths are mute to the praises of God. Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Let me ask you a question, church. Is there one ounce of ambiguity in that statement? No, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This is why we believe in the total depravity of man. That all of man in its totality is totally depraved. No one is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is all of mankind. This means that though you may love your mama and your country and you work hard, and you provide, and you do good deeds, the natural disposition and state of your heart is one of deafness to the word of God and of muteness to the praises of God. No one is good, 
And all of our righteousness compared to him is but filthy rags. All of mankind is in the state of this afflicted man. Though we may hear, we do not understand. That is our state. That is not good news. But there is an answer for all mankind. Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can open our ears. I can stand and preach the word of God. We can stand and read the word of God. But unless the spirit of God opens your ears, it falls on you as death. And we can stand and sing songs. But unless your heart is changed by the Spirit of God, they are mute to the praises of God. Before you can be saved, you must see and understand your need for a Savior. This man understood his need. His friends understood his need. It was evident to them. The clear message of the scripture is symbolically those needs that that man had are the needs that every one of us have for Jesus Christ to touch our ears and open them to the voice of God and to loosen our lips to praise God. Jesus is the only one that can do it. Jesus is the answer for mankind. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the affectionate miracle worker. He is the answer for mankind. And if he would, by his grace, call you unto himself, then the words... Of this text would not fall on deaf ears any longer. My prayer is that if that hasn't taken place in your life, that it would, that you would see your need for a Savior and humble yourself before Him because He is a gracious, compassionate, affectionate Savior who is sovereign and capable and able. That we would be a people who could stand and boldly proclaim to a deaf world around us, to a mute world around us, that Jesus is the answer for all mankind. Jesus, what, what a picture this morning of your compassion, your sympathy, your love, your care for your children. Just to know that even today, even this morning, all around the world, you are graciously pulling people away from the crowd to yourself and opening ears and opening eyes and opening mouths. That where sin has shut up, where sin has tied down, you are opening up and you are loosening by your grace.
Father, would you do it here in our midst? And would we be your messengers? Would we be your mouthpieces that would go and would proclaim he does all things well? He's the answer for all mankind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.